My name is Randy, <clears throat> one of the uh, teachers uh, in our teaching team, and uh, glad to be with you this morning. We're currently in a, a series called Following Jesus, His Life and Teaching. And this week, we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus' conversation with a woman of Samaria. And uh, let me read for you this uh, fairly lengthy passage, um, remind us of the many things that are here. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sakar. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four hours, four months more than comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, 
so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. As in previous weeks, I want to invite uh, someone spontaneously, sort of on the spot, uh, we have been reading these texts, uh, many of us, during the week on our own, and I have heard more and more positive things from different ones of you, and wondered if uh, any of you who actually read through the text this week uh, did some reflection on it and perhaps were touched, something was really highlighted to you from it, uh, would you be willing to share with us? So far, we've had someone share every week other than we can. Anybody? We've got a backup plan, but we would love to have someone else. So for me, I was just struck by the opposites of the kingdom, the way people think normally and how Jesus thought. And I was just struck with that the whole way through. And so in that time of reflection with the Lord for myself, he just declared, I'm inviting you to an upside-down kind of world. And there's still some areas in your life where you're thinking like the world and not thinking in this upside-down kind of way. So, so before we head into this, let's pray. Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus, we welcome you to lead and guide, speak and teach this morning. Would you even now be stirring in our hearts through the preparation of our time of worship, of hearing and thinking about your great love for us that is here in this passage highlighted in such a profound way. Open our ears. Open our eyes to see and to hear into your spiritual realm, to see past the familiar, and to connect with the deepness that's here for your glory. As we make our way through the gospel stories of the life and teaching of Jesus, there have been three things that I've been hoping for us to consider and learn. The first is how did Jesus live? How did he relate to people? What were Jesus' spiritual practices and what is the eternal kind of life Jesus is inviting us to? And so this week, um, I felt leading to actually use these three questions as a framework uh, for sharing through this material. So how did Jesus live? How do we see how Jesus lived in this passage? First of all, just a little bit of history about Samaria. In Jesus' day, Israel was made up of five regions. Along the coast, there was Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, and Galilee in the north. East of the Jordan, there was Perea and Decapolis. Uh, 700 years prior to Jesus' birth, the Assyrians had conquered Israel and carried off to Assyria as slaves the Israelites living in the area that would later become known as Samaria. 
the Assyrians then repopulated that area with non-Jewish peoples. And over time, those non-Jews with their own ways and their religions intermarried with uh, Jews that had been left behind, uh, and that people became known as the Samaritans. So uh, the Samaritans at the time of Jesus are half-breeds. They are mm, Jew and non-Jew. They're a blend of other religions uh, as well as Judaism. Um, And as a result of this, the Samaritans were despised and avoided by the Jews. A woman of Samaria couple things here. In Jesus' day, women had no rights. Um, They were not far from the level of a slave. Yet Jesus shows this woman respect, and he engages her in conversation, very counter to religious propriety as well as even cultural propriety. Jewish men, and particularly rabbis, did not speak to women in public. Notice the disciples' response when they returned from getting food. Just then, Jesus' disciples returned, and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Yet, Jesus treats this woman with kindness. He interacts with her, demonstrating her worth and value, and he opposes and defies the ungodly view of women that was present in his day. Another aspect about women is women were excluded from religious training and were only allowed to participate in the things, religious practices at a distance. However, this woman seems to have quite a bit of religious understanding. And Jesus is able to build on her understandings, leading her to encounter true religion, which goes beyond religious activity and is about relationship with Jesus the Father, and the Spirit. And as I mentioned above, Samaritans were despised and avoided by the Jews, but additionally, to eat or drink with one using their cups or plates would cause the Jew to be unclean. Yet Jesus ignores, even defies these Jewish customs of uncleanness, uncleanness, and by this he opposes and defies racial bigotry in his day. Jesus must go through Samaria. The easiest and quickest way to get to Galilee from Judea is that center purplish color road. Jerusalem down at the bottom, uh, traveling up and to Galilee where Jesus was heading from Jerusalem to to, uh, Galilee. goes directly through Samaria as can be seen there. But um, that was not the normal direction or path that a Jew would go to avoid these despised Samaritans and the potential of ritual uncleanness, they would travel a longer and harder uh, route from Jerusalem, traveling along the Jordan, bypassing Samaria. And didn't take time to do it, but there's also a drop of 2,000 feet, uh, 2,500 feet from Jerusalem down to the Jordan River and then back up. So there was a lot of work and effort that went into going that longer way, way beyond just simply traveling across the ridge uh, as it was. Uh, very interesting to me. Um, so Jesus, as we've seen, opposing Jewish bigotry, prejudice, and pride, goes through Samaria 
which is not a problem for him. However, on that day, I believe his choice to go that path comes out of a direct leading from the Holy Spirit and the will of the Father. The Apostle John, uh, in the passage we're looking at today, begins with these words, but Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's the same word as the must of we saw a few weeks ago in an earlier study of the life and teaching of Jesus. At age 12, Jesus said to his parents, didn't you know that I must be involved in the activities of my father? Now that word had and must in these verses is the Greek word dei, and it's used a lot. And it sounds like just a little similar, well, you had to go to Samaria. Well, you know, I, kinda, I just had to do the work that God was asking me to do. But the, the word is used in, in some amazingly uh, amazing places in the context of demonstrating, in my opinion, the passion and purpose of God and Jesus as it related to the kingdom of God, Jesus' death and his resurrection, even our salvation and the eternal life Jesus invites us to. And I want to read for you just quickly six verses from the New Testament, from the Gospels that use this word. And I want you to just see the amazing uh, aspect of what this word, this word must is not just, well, you just kind of had to. No, this is the day of God. It means I must. It is the passion and will of God. Jesus said to them in Luke 4:43, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. In Luke 24, 44, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, and that all these things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. John 10, 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. John 3, 7, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. For as yet, they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead, John 29. The must of Jesus about going through Samaria was to bring in his sheep that were not of the Jewish fold. His work, ministry, and salvation was not to be limited to the Jews only, but was for the world. It was for all peoples of every tribe, tongue, ethnicity, gender, background, even distance from God. In this, Jesus was saying, I must go through Samaria for my there and I must join him in his activity there and with this woman and this village. And may I suggest that Jesus, just as Jesus was compelled to act by the Dei, the must of God, that we too, to become like him, ought to become aware and alert to the activities of God and joining him in them. We have been called to live as he lived, to become like him. We can't do that, though, simply on our own. We need to be doing that with God. And that's what we're seeing here in these verses. Jesus did these things through the passion 
and the will of the Father. In continuing to think about how Jesus lived, there was a, in the latter section, there was a, a statement, some words there where Jesus is interacting with his disciples. And he says, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for the harvesting. You know, it's been common in the evangelical church in America for people to say that they go to church to be fed. Uh, I've had people tell me that they were leaving our church because they were not being fed. But is it not true that a shepherd or a pastor's role is not to feed sheep, but to lead sheep to food and water? where they drink and eat. And I would suggest that if you are dependent on being fed on Sunday mornings, then you're on a starvation diet. Your spiritual growth will be stunted or non-existent. And eventually you will grow weaker and weaker and lifeless. What happened to the passion, the life, the zeal for God? Just as we need daily food, and drink, so we need spiritual food and drink for spiritual nourishment. What does that mean? What, is, what could that look like? Well, it means daily connecting with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I have begun a practice pretty regularly of good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. As I get up, as I walk from my bedroom, make the bed, do the things that I do. And I have been amazed to have God reply back to me, good morning. And actually, in a couple of occasions now, to actually engage me in conversation in the morning because I paused and spoke to him and greeted him. It can be that simple. Hello, God. It also means taking in their love, their life, and their power on a daily basis. It means taking time, pausing in our day, to have relationship with God. That's what it means. That's what it can look like and more. Notice also with me what Jesus said was his food. My food, he said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. In the nourishment of the spiritual food and drink of interactive relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit, we will be led and empowered to live the eternal kind of life where we participate with God in his activities and God participates with us in our activities. That's what uh, I'm calling uh, and others have called a with God life. We are, have been created to live a with God life. There is not a moment of our day, a moment of our life, when God is not with us. The question is, are we with him? Let's move on to consider uh, what were Jesus' spiritual practices uh, we can see in this passage. And uh, just a number, I've got uh, too much here, so I'm just going to kind of highlight them and make a comment. Self-disclosing. Jesus evidences self-disclosing in here. Jesus is vulnerable. He shares his need. He's tired. 
He's thirsty. In our society, we have a very high value for self-reliance. And we often see vulnerability and dependence as weakness, but not so for Jesus. Jesus practices including. You know, he's tired, he's worn out, he stayed behind, he's sitting there. He could have practiced silence and solitude. But he rather chose to interact with this woman. Jesus practices the spiritual practice of noticing and doing what the Father is doing. We've seen in every single passage we've looked at that Jesus is paying attention. He is alert. He's noticing and joining with the Father in his activities. Some commentators said, well, because Jesus is God, he knew that he was going to meet that woman that day. Well, if Jesus was fully God but operating as fully human man, what we might say is that the Holy Spirit empowering him and speaking and leading and guiding to him is how he knew. And he knew perhaps only in that moment when she walked up. Oh, the Father is working in this woman's life. Let me participate. Teaching is a spiritual gift that Jesus expresses here, one very common in him. Witnessing and testifying is sharing the evidence of what one knows about God. And when we witness from our mind or about information, it can be forced, even unfruitful in, people's, in the people's lives we're trying to share with. But when we share out of our relationship with God, what we have experienced of him, it can be very fruitful. Dependence upon the Holy Spirit. I, I mentioned that one already. Humility. Um, one of the days this week, I was reading and reflecting on the passage, and I noticed the question the woman asked of him. Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? Like, really, guy? Do you know who made this well? Who dug it? And I thought, wow. Jesus could have said, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I am. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm the one who made the stones from which this well was formed. I'm the one who created the hydrogen and oxygen that makes up the water. I'm the one who gave breath to humankind. I'm the one who called Jacob and you into being. As a child, as a teen, as an adult, and even as the Son of God, Jesus practiced humility, and we can learn from him how to practice it. Finally, let's move on to consider a few aspects of what is described here as to what is the eternal kind of life that Jesus is inviting us to. You know, all of the ways that we see how Jesus lived in this passage and throughout the Gospels and as we look at his spiritual practices, are all of them are ways that we too can experience the eternal kind of life Jesus is inviting us to. But in his conversation with the woman, Jesus hones in at one point and he speaks about living water. And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. His words here, as many of his words when teaching, is a parable. It's a metaphor of something rather than speaking of something literal. In his conversation with Nicodemus that we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus spoke of the wind 
and being born again to describe eternal life to Nick. In this conversation, Jesus looks at the situation and with the Holy Spirit working with him, he chooses the metaphor of water and he describes it as living water, a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. In both cases with Nick and this woman, the point is not the metaphor. The point is that Jesus is using a physical thing that is known, something they, we understand as humans to describe something that's otherly, something of the spiritual and the divine realm that is both unknown and unseen. It, it might be like you or I attempting to describe snow to a person that does not know what snow is. Well, snow is something cold, but it's, but it's not heavy. It's, it's like rain. It falls from the sky. It remains on the ground, but it's not liquid. So Jesus wanting to explain eternal life, the eternal kind of life he's inviting us to, uses metaphor, uses parable, uses earthly pictures to describe what that's like. We're going to see this all through the Gospels as we make our way through them over the next many months. All of Jesus' teaching is pointing to, and uh, pointing to and directing us towards this eternal kind of life. See first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. These, he is constantly in his teaching leading us to live in and with him in a different kind of realm and way. He does this again when the woman brings up the topic of worship and he speaks about true worship, but is again describing the eternal kind of life that he's inviting her and us to. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship is not about a location. It's about a person. You will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. While this sounds like a put down, you know, you ignorant woman, you don't know anything about worship. I hear something different. I hear Jesus affirming her as a worshiper and one who is seeking. And as a seeker, he leads her into greater understanding, introducing her to the outcome of living water and eternal life salvation, deliverance, and freedom from human religious practices. It's not about religious activities or duties. It's about relationship and a fullness, a kind of life. The hour is coming, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. True worship is a relationship with the living God, a loving Father, not some tyrant or abusive religious monster called a God as most of the ancient religions taught. Think Greek and Roman gods. He, Jesus is talking to a woman who has both, has a pluralistic aspect to her religious experience, some of Judaism and some of other. And Jesus is leading her beyond both of those 
into genuine and true worship of the living Father. That's not about performing correct ritual or saying the right words. It's, it's a connection between the Spirit within each human person and God who is Spirit. Worship that is in Spirit and truth comes through the indwelling person and work of the Spirit of God within each human person. And then this aspect identifying her as a seeker of God, but also stating that God too is a seeker, seeking those who will lay aside what they can do on their own to experience him in interactive relationship. And finally, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus restates his previous statement for both clarity and for emphasis as to say, what I'm telling you is really important and you can count on it as truth. In my own reflections and interactions with God on what is being said here, I was led to the Apostle Paul's statements in Romans 8 about uh, where he speaks about those who are of the flesh and those who are of the spirit. Romans 8, 5 through 9. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The flesh is what we do on our own without God. Those who are according to the flesh are focused in mind and activity upon what they want and what they can do without God. Those who are according to the Spirit are focused in mind and activity upon what God wants and what they can do with God through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Religious effort or expression without interactive relationship with God is the human person acting as God of their own life. Those who worship in spirit and truth are those who worship the living God in interactive relationship, acting with God as God acts with them through the spirit of God dwelling in them, which is eternal life available right now, which is living water, a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. That is the kind of worshiper that God is seeking us to become. Worship is not here on Sunday, this hour and a half time where we gather with others. Well, yes, it is. But it also is broader than that. It's all day. It's, it's every day. 
Worship in spirit and truth is an interactive, ongoing, daily relationship with God. Worship of God is moment by moment. And he is seeking us, perhaps at times even more than we're seeking him. As we close and conclude, but I, I suggest uh, that we pause for a moment as, as I tend to lead us to do. And I want you just to, to pause and, and reflect on, on some of what you've heard this morning, what, what stood out to you, what's a highlight. And then I want to ask you to ask God, God, what do you want to say to me this morning? Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. It's God's intention to have an interactive conversational relationship with us. And a part of what we're doing by inviting you to spend time during the week in these passages and, and reading them and reflecting on them and asking the question during the week, God, what do you want to say to me from this passage? Can be a spiritual practice that will lead us towards hearing his voice on a daily basis. So I'm going to invite you even now, perhaps uh, to practice, to pause, to reflect, to consider what, what is something that stands out to you from the material this morning. And then say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to tell me about that? So let's take just a couple minutes. This may be foreign for those of you who are, are new with us. Uh, but we want to give time uh, for us to connect with God. And this is one of the ways that we're doing that uh, in this season. So let's just pause for a couple of minutes and uh, just reflect back on this morning. And then if you would, just invite God. God, what do you want to tell me? Papa, thank you 
for leading us to green pastures and still cool streams. Thank you for Jesus for filling our lives with life, living water, gushing forth Holy Spirit, we honor you as, as teacher and guide, one who comes alongside to help. I long to live a life with you, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. And I long for that for each of my friends here. We can't do that without your empowering presence. We, we can't do that without you helping us, reminding us, helping us grow up in a similar way that a young child hears sounds but doesn't understand or know words, has to be helped by parents and others in the family. We need to be helped to learn to hear your voice, to recognize your words, even to remember to greet you in the morning. And I ask you would. Perhaps maybe you would even initiate it to us as we wake in the morning that we would wake hearing you saying to us, good morning. I've been waiting for you to wake up. We love you and we so appreciate your love. Empower us as we go forth to live the life that you have called us to, that eternal kind of life filled with your presence, experiencing your love and loving others. In Jesus' name, let it be so. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Um, we have, we'll have a few people up here that would be happy to pray with you, talk with you. Perhaps you heard something this morning that stirred in your heart and you're just, perhaps you're having a sense that, that you might want to talk with somebody about that or pray with somebody. And perhaps you came in with a need, circumstance in your life where you would lo love to have someone pray with you. We will have people here uh, up at the front that can do that with you. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Blessings. <laughs>